0: The The Empathy Museum presents A Mile In My Shoes. These are heavy-duty black rubber Wellington boots, size 7. They've got a buckle on the top. They're not full-length wellies, actually. They're more mid-calf, I'd say. And inside is a very bright red lining. And the tread has an arrow pointing forward. And it's got a very good grip. Very smart, Wellington boots. These shoes belong to Karen Lang. This is her story.
1: Imagine you're shopping at Garden City. You're trying to find an appropriate jumper for your daughter. It has to have a high neck, something that will complement her blonde hair and fair skin. You know she'd want to look her best. Finally, you find a soft mauve high neck jumper. You know it looked beautiful on her. You clutch your purchase and contain yourself until you reach your car, where you break into sobs. The jumper is for your daughter to wear in the casket. There will be a viewing and the high neck is to cover her wounds. You will never shop at Garden City again without thinking of her. Imagine. Hi, I'm Karen Lang and I've been married for nearly 40 years to John Lang. And I have a, a son Ryan and I had a daughter Jessica. Jess was a very strong-willed little character and miles ahead of her peers in terms of her wanting to experience life. From the time she was little she was always running headfirst into doing things that weren't appropriate for her age. Jess at 15 she was going to Iona Presentation College in Mosman Park, and she decided that she wanted to leave school. And we said, No, Jess, you're not going to leave school because she was in year 10. And we said, You're not leaving school until you finish year 12. And she convinced us that she knew exactly what she wanted to do. She wanted to be a hairdresser, and she was very tall. She was like six foot tall. She'd been doing modelling. She was an attractive girl, very athletic. And we said, well, if you really, really want to leave school, you've got to go and get yourself a job. And in actual fact, just after I left for my European trip, she rang and said, Mum, i got an apprenticeship. And she left school straight away. And the day she was going to start her apprenticeship was the day of her funeral. The day I got the phone call, I was in Paris. I'd been away from the family for three weeks. I'd been saving for a few years for my trip to Europe and it had been something that I'd always wanted to, to do. And the bus had just pulled up at the hotel in Paris and the tour guide went in to the hotel and came back and said... Karen, you've got to ring home urgently. And I rang home and my brother answered the phone and he said, jessie has been killed. And I just remember thinking, oh, my God, she's been hit by a car or or something like that. And I remember hearing a scream and then realising that, that was actually me and i was just like in total shock and i'm standing in a hotel room on my own and hearing that news was was definitely the worst moment of my life it was just i can't describe to you the feeling of helplessness and just grief that ripped through me in that in that moment and i i had nobody with me other than the people that were on the Trafalgar tour. I didn't know what had happened to Jess and it, my husband was actually with the police being interviewed because he was the last one. He found Jess's body, so it was about 11 o'clock at night when I got the second phone call to say that Jess had been murdered and John was just beside himself, but he wouldn't tell me any more. And then I just had to wait. I've I've barely remember. I can remember a doctor coming and giving me an injection of something and I remember one of the girls from the tour sitting there with me and holding my hand and I caught flights home. It took about 36 hours to get home. Coming home, by that stage they'd made an arrest and I knew that the perpetrator was an 18-year-old girl, and I knew who she was. I was just devastated. I couldn't believe that somebody would kill Jess and I had a feeling that it was a jealousy thing. Um, As events unfolded, I found out more and more um, John had basically come home from work expecting to see Jess because she'd actually taken that day off she was supposed to be at school, but because she was starting this hairdressing apprenticeship, she decided that she'd take that day off and go into Garden City Shopping Centre and get some clothes for her apprenticeship. So, about 11 o'clock in the morning, there was a knock on the door, and she'd answer the door, and in came an 18 year old girl who she knew, and then she was chased around the house with a a knife and she was stabbed 47 times and my husband came home from work. When he opened the front door he knew something horrific had happened because of the amount of blood everywhere he ran down through the house and found her body on my kitchen floor and he took one look, he knew she was dead and she'd been Dead for several hours. The police cordoned off the street and they wouldn't let any traffic through and my son had to come from the other side of the river um, but they couldn't get the car through, they wouldn't let him through and he was standing in the rain on the street trying to get to his fa- father and... Finally, my brother was waiting on the other side of the cordoned off street and my brother insisted to the police. He drove through the barricades and my son was allowed to get through and see his father. Yeah, having um, the perpetrator arrested that same day, but it was a great relief because then there was a trial that could take place. So you could see that justice was done. After the trial finished, we had a lot of questions and I had actually participated in some restorative justice courses that were run in WA prisons. Now, restorative justice is when you bring victims of crime or secondary victims of crime in to work with perpetrators of crime. Now, they are not necessarily of your crime and we would come together to discuss and come to an understanding and some sort of a healing. On both sides... It's very difficult emotionally to do the course and it requires a lot of courage from the prisoners to do this and it requires a lot of courage for victims to come and do the, the course as well. The reason that I went and participated in them, and I did that over a period of six years, was because I wanted to have a bit of understanding because I'd always viewed them as monsters, really. I'd always thought they must be just monsters to do what they do. So for me, there was a real need to find out more about what makes people tick. And we set up a meeting with the girl who murdered our daughter and the meeting took place in Bandy Up Prison. That was a very unusual thing to do. I mean, most victims of crime don't don't go down this path. And we met with the perpetrator and um, she was 18 when she committed the crime. She was in her mid-twenties when I met her. She was a very attractive girl, presented very well, looked like the girl next door that was, quite, that was qu- quite bizarre because somehow you don't expect people who look so normal to commit such a heinous crime. So I talked to her for quite some time and I was glad that I went through the process. I didn't get what I wanted in terms of I didn't get answers to things because there was certain things that were no go areas that we weren't allowed to talk about. But I was able to look her in the eye and tell her how it felt for me as a mother to lose Jess and to be able to ask her questions that I wasn't able to do that through the normal court system and it gave me some power back. You start to feel empathy for their stories as well. It's not the same as condoning. It's about understanding and opening your heart enough to be able to see things from other people's points of view. I can't change what happened to Jesse, but I can change I can change how I view that and how I move through that and how I live my life after that. And I choose not to live my life in hatred and not to live my life wanting Kelly dead. I, I've i been able to, to a great degree, let go of the need to be tied to her with all those feelings of anger and hate. I don't have that. And I'm really grateful for that. My last memory of Jess I will hold on to. The night I was leaving for London, it was the most horrible night. It was a a horrendous storm. They were were right over Perth and right over the airport. And I had to go. I had the cab coming and it was about 11 o'clock at night. The cab was picking me up. Jessie came running out in her blue satin pyjamas and she had these pink pig slippers where you press the ear of the pig slipper and they make oinky noises, right? So she looked ridiculous. And she said, Mum, come on, I've got to give you a hug. And I gave her this big hug and she said, I'm going to miss you, I love you Mum. And she gave me this beautiful big hug and then she wouldn't let me go, she just kept saying one more hug Mum, one more hug and I... I kept thinking, I'm going to miss my taxi. The taxi's, you know, I've got to get outside, I've got to go. And I kept saying, Jess, I've got to go, I've got to go. No, Mum, one more hug, can I have one more hug? And she didn't want me to go. She she wanted to hang on to me as long as she could. And I just remember that wonderful big hug that I had from her in her fluffy, pink pig slippers and her blue satin jimmy jams and I've still got them actually, I've got them in a box um, because I am so grateful to have had that as my last memory of Jess
0: Karen's story was produced by Marnie Richardson. Her shoes are part of a growing collection of footwear hosted by the Empathy Museum's A Mile in My Shoes exhibition. The shoes and stories come from all over the world. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram to find out where we are going next.